OnPay is an easy-to-use, full-service payroll and HR app that is the right fit for all your clients, whether they have just one or 500 employees, to stay organized, save time, and get compliant. If you're wondering why OnPay is so great, it's because it was built by payroll experts with over 30 years of payroll experience and has the most robust and customizable QuickBooks Online and Zero integrations of any payroll provider. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, OnPay, later in the episode. I fundamentally believe that like Bitcoin has no value in the long run. Like Eventually, it will go to zero at some future date. When that will happen, we don't know. And could all these retirement accounts getting into it, then institutional money getting into it, drive it up again to new heights before it collapses? Or maybe I'm wrong. And maybe it will be the new gold. But and that, I think those are the two possibilities. It's like all or, it's all or nothing. Coming to you weekly from the OnPay Recording Studio, this is the Cloud Accounting Podcast. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. Good to see you, David. You too. We just saw each other two days ago. San Diego, Paradise Point for Accounting Web Live. What'd you think? It was great. It was, it was obviously first year conference, but people came from everywhere to attend it. I mean, even people that kind of haven't been to a conference in a while. Like Doug mm-hmm. Leader showed up. Clayton Oates came all the way from Australia. He gave a and, keynote. And he gave a keynote. Now, the crazy thing is, I think over those same days, I think it's like the Business Expo something, Small Business Expo, something like that is in Australia happening. The UK had AccountEx happening, which is – and the the AccountEx in the UK is gigantic. And then com- – Franciera Fit, I think it's like Finance Innovation Technology, uh, which is a Spanish conference, accounting conference that that was happening in Florida. So four conferences were all happening all at the same time. So we're in the full swing, like post COVID, I guess now when this many in person conferences are happening, which is kind of exciting. What was your highlight from the thing? What was your event? Your highlight? I was just getting to see everyone, you know, standing around, talking to people in, in real life. Just yeah, standing around. That was good. <laughs> the small conversations that happen on the side of the event, those are always the reason I go. Well, David, we got a lot to talk about this week. What's top of mind for you? Zero had their, their results, their fiscal year results. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some other app news type thing. We got listener mail. I've got three of those we got to get to. The US banned accounting services to Russia. Oh, blockchain. We haven't talked about crypto in a while ever since Tether and stablecoins. And one of these stablecoins, it went poof is over it the poof, week. poof or is it like only 10% now or something? Well, I mean, isn't that the equivalent of going poof? If, if Terra USD goes from a dollar for a Terra down to 10 cents for a Terra, like it's not a stablecoin anymore. Let, let's check my Bitcoin investments here. Uh, it's not going to be good. That also tanked this week. Because remember, I bought like $10 on each one of the little platforms here. All right. So we're going to start with crypto then. All right. Let's jump check in. That. Go for it. And so, I'll check so out my values. Let's review our prior coverage of this on the show. We started talking about Tether a lot. Tether is the stable coin that is supposedly backed one-to-one US dollars to Tethers. And so it's supposed to hold its value at a dollar. And there's like three guys in the Cayman Islands who do, did the audit. And there's, there's lots of questions as to where is all this money, the $80 billion that was invested into Tether. And there are allegations that the people who created Tether have been using Tether for years to pump up the value of Bitcoin in particular. And the way you do this with a stablecoin is that you, you mint the stablecoin and then you use the stablecoin to buy whatever cryptocurrency you want to pump up. And it looks like dollars. It acts like dollars, but it isn't dollars. And so you can create artificial volume, or you can create volume in a market where there may not be that kind of volume. And a bunch of people buying and selling Bitcoin in exchange for a stable coin can have the same impact as if people were buying and selling for US dollars, but that's not, that's not what is happening. So the problem with stable coins, even though they're not that big as a percentage of the whole crypto market, crypto markets, what, you know, like trillion, two trillion dollars, something like that. And these stable coins, like the 
biggest one, Tether, is $80 billion. But, but that's not where the risk is. The risk is that they create a lot of the liquidity for the crypto markets because most Bitcoin is not purchased with US dollars. It's purchased with Tether or another stablecoin. So the idea is if, if these banks for crypto suddenly turn out to be failed, right? if the banks fail, then the, the value of the investments will also then plummet because people won't be able to get their money out. And that is kind of what happened this week where not Tether, but Terra USD collapsed. And that's what we were talking about. Collapsed to 10% of its value. And this is one that's even scarier than um, Tether because it's an algorithmic stablecoin, meaning that it's not actually backed by US dollars fully. It's, it's what's the best way to describe it? It's linked to another cryptocurrency and then it tries to maintain its one-to-one -one value to the US dollar by incentivizing people to buy or sell it. Yeah, I tried to listen to This Week in Startups and they had a guest to talk about this and it was almost impossible to follow. Because right? it feels like a little of this, remember like the crash in the markets before we had from like the flash trading and the automated transactions? Mm -hmm. It feels like that has to little, a little bit to do with this. Also has to do with the fact that like people are truly trying to get out of Bitcoin a little bit. Yeah. And and so there's a little bit of a bank rush happening. And, but the whole premise, right? If, if, if the tether is supposed to equal the dollar one to one and it falls below, like all bets are off then, right? Well, so, so that is what happened briefly. So this Terra USD, which is the algorithmic cryptocurrency, which al algorithmic stable coins are inherently unstable. And so the algorithm failed. It didn't manage to stay pegged to the dollar and it, it fell. And so then people started to freak out. And then Tether briefly for a day dropped to 95%, you know, 0.95 on the dollar. And if Tether goes down, you know, my argument is that a lot of people won't be able to get their money out. And then, then the price of Bitcoin will truly plummet. I mean, it's already way down, but, but that's, that's how the crypto markets evaporate is when the liquidity evaporates is the idea. So are you so suggesting is, that my, I'm down 30%, I should just count my losses and get my other $7 out of my Bitcoin investments <laughs> right now? No, you need to hold to the end so we have something to talk about. But what if I listen to everybody and I would have put $10,000 in? Yeah, I know. A lot of people did, right? Because it was going to go up forever no matter what. I wonder how many people invested at the top. Well, lots because, I mean, essentially, a lot of the run-up was stimulus money mm -hmm. and the pandemic and uh, uh, Robin Hood. And, I mean, impulsive buys on Cash App. You know, $10 in Cash App, $10 over here on Venmo. I used the PayPal app. I used that vending machine to buy Bitcoin. Right? Yep. I'm down. <laughs> well, it, here's another thing to be concerned about now. It doesn't look so, this news doesn't look so good in, uh, in close proximity. Fidelity said it's going to start offering Bitcoin 401k accounts. Fidelity is like the largest or one of the largest retirement planning you know, 401k companies. And they're going to allow you to invest up to 20% of your 401k into Bitcoin. So, okay, because right now I can, the easiest thing with 401k is you just pick out like a target fund or you, yes. then the next little bit more risky is you, you, you try to self-manage and you pick yourself a suite of funds. And then the next is you move some of it into a brokerage type of account and pick stocks yourself. And this is going to be another level where you're like, I'm going to move some 20% of my assets into this Fidelity Bitcoin account, and then I can go buy Bitcoin in my portfolio. Is yeah. it only Bitcoin? Is I, it all crypto? Is it? I think it's just Bitcoin for now. Twenty percent, man. Well, I know it, it just it just seems nuts to me. Like, and that's the sort of thing where if I was trying to figure out what is going to happen, like I fundamentally believe that like Bitcoin has no value in the long run. Like, eventually, it will go to zero at some future date. When that will happen, we don't know, and could all these retirement accounts getting into it, then institutional money getting into it, drive it up again to new heights before it collapses. Or maybe I'm wrong. And maybe it will be the new gold. But and that, I think about those are the two possibilities. It's like all or, it's all or nothing, right? It's, it's a yes or a no. There's, I don't think there's any middle ground with Bitcoin. It's either going to be 
the, one of the most valuable assets in the history of our planet, or it's going to be totally worthless. But a lot of the value is pegged on like the collapse of society, right? And right. Well, the collapse the of governments of... and all of these things. But I'm thinking <laughs> there won't be electricity. So then what's the point? Like, yeah. You're, you're going to want to have gold. You're going to have gold. You're going to have bricks. You're going to want to have guns. Like that's yeah. probably, I don't want to be like prepper here, but like, <sighs> I, I, I just don't know how the, where the long-term value is. I just can't see it. And now, like, even right now, the economy is getting a little shaky and mm-hmm. people are putting money in gold. So there's two tie-ins to what we talk about on the show in accounting and tax having to do with Bitcoin or blockchain or crypto. The one I just saw today was uh, an estimate that crypto investors likely pay less than half of the taxes they owe. This is according to an analyst at Barclays, Joseph Abate. He is a veteran analyst of money markets and treasury department funding extrapolated he extrapolated from a 2017 IRS calculation to find the current tax gap for just crypto tax filers is around $50 billion a year, which would be about 10% of all unpaid taxes if the tax gap is around half a trillion dollars as the IRS has estimated in the past. And let's, let's remember, it could be more than that because Chuck Reddick told Congress that the tax gap could be as high as a trillion dollars a year. People not reporting. It's mostly people not reporting income. In crypto, hey, it's really easy to not report income because there's not a lot of informational reporting on crypto. It's anonymous. So it's not like you're getting a 1099 for your crypto earnings most of the time, unless you happen to use Coinbase or one of the regulated exchanges. Yeah. The other interesting thing here is, so I saw, speaking of crypto, a new quote unquote Web3 accounting firm launched. It's actually a horrible headline. Wait, but, Web three. I thought we were still in Web two. Uh, so it's Web. Th- so here's the headline. This is on um, Domain Wire Domain Name News. Uh, Web three accounting firm officially launches Tactic.com. So Tactic is essentially a SaaS app, right? That'll go and connect all, to all your crypto wallets and exchanges to give you a full view, right, of all your balances and activities. And then it's going to calculate your gains, your losses, taxable events, and then it's going to take it and export it out to QuickBooks. Two things I think that, that I'm kind of finding interesting in this. So why would you move it to QuickBooks unless you were a business doing this, right? Like an individual wouldn't need it exported out to QuickBooks, right? Unless you were a business buying crypto. And then the other interesting thing is um, Tactic publicly launched from merging from stealth mode with a $2.6 million in funding co-led by Founders Fund and Ramp. So Ramp's Expense management bank. card, right? Oh, Who, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's a startup themselves? So I'm kind of thinking like, so investors are investing into a startup to solve expense report management, right? Mm-hmm. Expense cards, basically, corporate spend. And then they're taking the founders in that company, basically took that money and put it into a crypto startup. Like, it's, I don't know. So what does it do exactly? It it aggregates, I'm reading the article here, TechCrunch, right? It gives well, this them one's a not in TechCrunch, but I think it's oh. all the same. So it it tackles the problem of accounting for a business's cryptocurrency holdings and on-chain activity by aggregating data across disparate sources to give businesses a full treasury view of their balances and activities. Okay, so you can see all of your crypto holdings across all your wallets. And your transactions and all that. I think that a couple of players have done this now, right? Yeah, like, yeah. There's, this is, there's a bunch doing this. Yeah. The idea is you connect all your crypto accounts, and now you can see it all in one place. And what do they sync into QuickBooks? That's the part I don't fully understand. I mean, I guess if you're a business and you're investing in stuff, and and maybe you, this... you, you you put in the gains and losses and and put it on the balance sheet, right? That's got to yeah. be it. Cool. But if you're but if you're personal finances, if you're just a person, you're not going to want to sync to QuickBooks. But I don't know. It's it's just right. Right. A lot of these companies pop up, and it's it's funny because they they're like Web three accounting made simple. Like the the taglines, it's all here, right? on the website. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by FreshBooks. For those of you that know Twyla Verhelst from her video per day experiment on Twitter, you remember the one where she encouraged hundreds of accountants and bookkeepers to get out of their shells and post videos on social media? If you do remember, you'll probably agree when I say Twyla is about community building. Now Twyla and her team are building FreshBooks exclusive online accounting partner community. 
be it sharing experiences, venting with peers, collaborating, ideating, supporting and elevating others, I like to define community as conversations. And nothing beats a face-to-face conversation at a conference. In fact, Twyla is going to be at AICPA Engage 2022. And if you find her and have a conversation and tell her what community means to you, she'll give you a sweet fresh books hoodie and I'll toss in a Cloud Accounting Podcast shirt. If you want to learn more about the benefits of working better together with FreshBooks, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash FreshBooks. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash F-R-E-S-H-B-O-O-K-S. Here's a more blockchain I've been saving, more blockchain news. Coinbase? Well, let me step back for a second. Goldman Sachs made the first Bitcoin-backed loan. So, you know, more traditional financial stuff getting involved in in crypto. Crypto and, backed loan. Yes. So Defines. meaning that so David, let's say you want to start a business and I'm gonna give you a loan. I might ask for some collateral. You know, like your house. Here's a kid. Here's or a, your firstborn son, right? Okay. So um instead of giving me your firstborn son's soul, you could give me a lien on your crypto. So you have a bunch of Bitcoin and I'm going to give you cash and you're going to give me, you know, that the, the crypto is going to be the collateral. So do you see where the Did potential... Did you say how big these amounts were? Like how big is this loan? So this was, um, it was a loan to Coinbase and they didn't provide details about, about it, like the, the amount. So it's not like, oh, I'm David with some crypto holdings assets that maybe are worth X and I'm going to use that secure loan. Like they're basically giving the loan to actually the middleman crypto player. Yeah. But you could see this them is, doing this for other. I, it actually would make more sense and feel less risky if it was other people than right. the people that can control the market. <laughs> I mean, I guess weird. the reason that I brought this up is because it shows how the reason cryptocurrency matters, even if you don't care about it at all, is could a crypto crash impact the broader market? And this is one of those ways in which it could, right? If we start having a lot of loans in US dollars, a lot of loans in fiat currency backed by crypto assets and the crypto market tanks, those loans get called in, right? And and they can't pay. In the grand scheme of historical, traditional financial institutions and the money they manage and the money they have and the grand size, is it just nominal, these little amounts that are messing with crypto and it's really not, it can't really impact the bigger economy? Or are they really putting more money than all of us know, in which is there's actually a risk? I think right now there's not much of a risk. Like, you know, like crypto is what, I don't know what it is now, like but it was up to like releases. two, $2 like, trillion. Yeah, dollars. Kick, but, kick. Right. But imagine it gets, if it gets bigger, many times bigger, if this continues, then ultimately it could become a problem. Yeah. So we're sort of spotting this maybe five, 10 years ahead. Are we like crypto lemmings just marching towards the edge of that cliff? Following each I other? mean, we're just going to go along for the ride. We don't have a choice, right? The whole economy could go that way. Uh, last story here that I've got on crypto is, uh, this was in the Wall Street Journal and the headline is, the new way to get a tax break, NFT and crypto donations. So if you don't think that your NFTs are going to be worth anything, you could still get a sweet tax deduction by donating it at the price you paid for it because these are hard to value, right? So you could go out and buy an NFT and pay, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars for it instead of then reselling it. You realize, is, oh, I saw TikTok videos about this, but just for plain old artwork, like yeah, you can so basically you, same you idea. Pay an right? artist like a hundred thousand dollars to make some sculpture, and then you donate yeah. it and say the value is four million dollars. Yeah, and then if you want to go criminal. You have the artist kick you back ninety percent of what you paid him. <laughs> that's a whole right? other level. So, you know, that's that's what people do. But people right? are basically doing that with NFTs now. You could, yeah. So you could go buy an NF- I could buy an NFT from you, David. Right? You sell it to me, and then and then under the table you hand me the money back. Now I've got a high value NFT I can donate to some charity that'll take it and sell it. I don't know. Yeah. Auction it or something. Auction it. But I get to take the deduction at the value, the fair value, at the time that I made the donation. I have two other things that are confusing to me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk IRS or do you want to talk about KPMG? 
Are you talking about the uh, KPMG Carillion mess? No, but KPMG oh. and Monday.com, their alliance. Let's talk about that because I've got a story about KPMG. Yeah, so Monday.com is like, I think some of for our listeners maybe who've used, some of them may have used Monday.com. Some of them probably used Cello, right? Some mm-hmm. of them uh, are ClickUp or Trello, any of this kind of workflow software. Right. What's and weird about what's weird about Monday.com is I've seen the ads everywhere. YouTube ads everywhere. Oh, they they their but marketing budget's insane. I don't know anyone who uses it for uh, an accounting firm. Like well, not a single person. KPMG. <laughs> okay. I looked at it a long time ago when I was looking for like a dashboard tool like this. I went up settling on Fabro, but like I did look at it one time and it wasn't called Monday.com when I looked at it a long time ago. So I'm trying to figure out if this is like real or if this is like really Monday.com. Really, this is a big marketing thing, right? Mm-hmm. So essentially, KPMG has built on top of, they're calling it now Monday.com's work OS, right? So they built different products that tie into NetSuite. So first off, I'm trying to rewinding here and I'm like, is a company that's using NetSuite going to use Monday.com? Maybe a team individually, like the social media team might use it to manage some workflow, right? Or a marketing team. I, I guess they've been going up market then, right? They must be if that's this is what they're doing. Yeah. Trying to get big companies. Yeah. So, so apparently KPMG built an app, uh, a crisis management solution app. Mm-hmm. And they're building apps also to uh, integrate NetSuite for like all the, online, all the finance teams on processes and projects. And they're syncing the data real time back and forth. So the project hours you're spending over here in Monday are somehow getting back over to NetSuite, right? Um, They're also automating repetitive tasks, right? So they have like a smart document reader. Um, I said the crisis management solution already. And then they're kind of in a partnership where they're going to, KPMG is going to roll these tools out to, in theory, KPMG clients, I guess is the goal. So I'm, I'm just confused because like, I'm like, hey, I'm like, I doubt KPMG is using Monday.com on any massive scale, right? And yeah. are they really going to roll this out? Like, I'm just so I said, it's like, here's another article I'm just confused about. Like, is this just yeah. a marketing, another marketing PR thing? Well, or is it people really using this? Remember when Zero signed a deal with one of the big four in Canada? That happens every now and then. You get the big press release. It's some big partnership deal, but then nothing really comes of it, right? So that's probably what this is. That's my guess. Yeah. So that's fun to watch. So I'm glad you brought up KPMG because this gives me an excuse to talk about the Carillion mess. Carillion was a giant audit failure in the UK, you know, on on par with like Wirecard, where it was just complete, total fraud. And And, and what did Carillion do? Just because it's hard to Construction? They're in construction. Okay. So, you know, the auditors, it was it was a question of where were the auditors? Yeah, they're a construction company in the UK. And they, they didn't find the fraud. They should have found the fraud. Well, KPMG is going to be fined by the Financial Reporting Council. Originally, it was going to be the largest fine ever in the UK. It was going to be 20 million pounds. But that has been reduced to 14.4 million pounds to reflect mitigating factors and KPMG's admissions of wrongdoing. So it's about, it's been reduced 60, 70%. But again, remember, what's 14 million pounds to a company that globally earns, you know, tens of billions of dollars in revenue every year? Probably not much. KPMG UK revenue. Let's see if I can find this. So it was 2.43 billion pounds. And they're getting fined 14 million Slaps on the wrist, right? Why Why would you change your behavior if this is the situation? It's just like we talked about, was it was it KPMG in, in, in Australia with the KPMG cheating? KPMG in Australia. And they, they're not, not, not doing so good in the news. And, and the crazy thing about this, like, let's just look at TurboTax situation in, in Intuit, mm-hmm. right? It's deceptive advertising, right? This is like questionable integrity behavior over here. Like, everybody knows all advertising might be questionable. Right. But you look at like what's going on with KPMG, especially in Australia, cheating on those tests. This is like oh, yeah. flat out ethical behavior and they're barely getting slack. Yeah. It's like total violations of the core values of public accounting. And they're not even banning them from like the partners involved are not even getting banned for life. They, they only have to sit out for like 10 years or something. 
during that time, they could go work for the PCO, PCOB. <laughs> they just go work for the companies that they were auditing. Yes. Right. No, the, yeah. Uh. Probably, yeah. They'll probably take your paycheck, uh. not do much. Yeah. Exactly. Hey, I've got that listener mail. Do you want to get to yeah, that? Yeah, let's now? jump over that. Okay. So this is from Chris. Chris said, Around the 32-minute mark of the most recent episode, David vented about how it's always a transactional relationship with tax preparers in response to the Surgeon Tax Twitter post. So this is in response to, uh, is it Surgeify? Fi- who was the... Who was oh, the, yeah. It was a Surge FI. I think it's Surge FI is yeah. a robotic surgeon who also has like finance. He talks Personal about finance. finance stuff, yeah. Yeah. And he, he was... Man, millionaire. Self-made man, yeah. He made a video in his Tesla complaining about uh, tax preparers. Oh, he was in his Tesla. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I, I think so. He had the you know the moon, the big roof on the top, uh. and um, you know t- saying like it's ridiculous. You guys are complaining about your clients and stuff like that. On it's unprofessional, and then some other stuff too, because he had a bad, I don't know, not a great experience. So anyway, Chris says I agree that it's mostly a transactional relationship with those clients that we only do a year end tax return for. Blake mentioned off the cuff that greed is the cause of this because we take on too many tax returns trying to make more money. I agree that this occurs, but don't believe greed is the cause. It's more like survival. Most accounting firm owners don't make that much annual profit, especially when considering the amount of hours they work. The real problem is there is a market imbalance between what clients value tax return work at and the prices that would actually work for an accounting firm to operate like any other normal business that makes good profit without all the overtime. I'm not sure where the tax return market is headed, but what I see is that my firm and all other firms I network with, including big firms, are not taking on orphan 1040s anymore and firing many of the existing 1040 clients. There's hardly even any firms to refer the clients to. Nobody wants them anymore. Orphan 1040s is the term we use for tax return clients that we don't have a business client relationship with, bookkeeping, business tax returns, etc. It's either going to be that TurboTax and H&R Block absorb all these clients, or market prices for 1040 prep double. I'm going to be offering a new take-it-or-leave-it service to my clients in this segment, increase the price 80 to 100%, and smooth it out over the year as a monthly subscription. This is after increasing prices by 30 to 40% over the past three years. We'll certainly add some services with the increase, but nothing we don't already do, like take their calls with questions throughout the year and send them tax law updates, planning suggestions and reminders, etc. There simply is not enough capacity to service all tax clients in the manner which you desire while avoiding burnout and making profits big enough to be worth all the hassle. So something has to break. We'll see what works. Chris. So David, I want to give you a chance to reply to Chris. I mean, I specifically... Hey, first off, I guess I love this Orphan 1040 comp. I'm, like, I'm thinking show title, but like it is the reason that problem occurred with uh, Surge FI is it's very transactional. It's like I gave you my stuff and I'm expecting you to give me something back, right? Like that both sides, that was the, that was the previous, that was the expectation that was set. And I think right? he was frustrated with not hearing back. Not hearing back. Yeah. We, yeah. But just waiting and not knowing. Not knowing. Which is the biggest, I think most common complaint. But it's also not like we didn't go into this tax season knowing without the knowledge that it was already going to be stacked up and behind since, you know, mm-hmm. the last 18 months. Like, yes, I know one of my firms sent me a little email, you know, like just to let you know, it's super busy if you've seen in the news. But like that drum maybe needed to be hit louder, right? Yeah, it, it wasn't a surprise to anyone that it was busy this year. Like the, the it, Except for to clients, right? I guess. Well, yeah, but like to us, so so here's my comment. I want to reply to the the greed yeah. statement because I know that has that has come. Like it is it is what's the right word? Some people didn't like that, right? They thought, no, I'm not greedy. But I would question. I, I actually want to double down on this, right? Think about it this way: if you during busy season are working fifty hours or sixty hours, let's say it's fifty, that it makes it easier, right? You're working 50 hours. If you did 20% less work, could you do 40 hours a week during busy season? And then think to yourself, could I live with 20% less income? Now, this is if you're doing the work yourself. I understand when you run a firm, you've got to think about this fixed salaries and you've got to bring in enough work. But to me, it's a, um, it's like a, 
lifestyle choice. If you've got the really expensive car and you, you know, you pay a thousand dollars a month for that car you're leasing, I don't think you can complain about being too busy because you could always turn in that car and just buy a Honda Civic like me and move out to the desert and, but, uh, you know, not but, have to but, deal but, with that. But how many? Okay, you could okay. be a professional podcaster and work four hours a week. We know lots of accountants and bookkeepers. And every so often, somebody crosses a new line and they're like, you know, and usually the people I've noticed that have done this are at a certain point in their career, they're slightly older, it's obvious they don't have kids anymore, and they've treated themselves finally after working in this industry for 20 years to a nice BMW or something like that. And they'll post pictures on Facebook, things like that. So I don't necessarily think that it's not, they're not operating out of greed, they're operating more of need, right? Like well, if, greed, greed, need <laughs> is greed. Okay. Greed is need. It's just, uh, right? It, uh, just learn to live with less and you don't have to work so hard. Right? Like, okay, yeah. Well, then just only so, take the stimulus payments and live off of those and don't work at all, <laughs> right? Like, where does that stop? No, I, I mean, think about it. We live, we live in the modern world like kings and queens of 500 years ago. We have everything we could possibly want, and yet everybody still always wants more. It, you know, like so. Don't complain about it if you're gonna if you're gonna go buy a boat with your money. If that's your plan someday, don't complain about working too many hours or having client. Actually, so here, Ooh, let me step back. Somebody should name their boat eighty hours. Well, there's EBITDA is like the best name for a boat, right? <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Debit. You need two boats. Debit and credit. So. Here's where the problem comes, I think, is we don't do a good enough job forecasting capacity in our firms. So when busy season rolls around, you just take on every single dollar of revenue you can as a firm owner because you don't know how it's going to shake out because honestly, you haven't planned it out. So if you plan it out and you've got, like, you know how many returns you can handle with the staff you've got, and you know that in October, you should be able to manage the influx. And then also, nobody's doing dynamic pricing to then adjust the demand. Chris said it. He said, you know, he's going to increase his price 80 to 100%. That means there's a lot of slack here. And I've, I've seen this. I've been talking to people who are like, yeah, we t we, our 1040 price is now $800, $1,000 to do a 1040. And there's a certain segment of the market that will say, oh, no, thanks. I'll go find H&R Block to do it. And that's great. You don't want those clients anyway. And then there's a segment of the market that is really not that price sensitive because they do not want TurboTax or H&R Block. They have done it before. It's, they, they're finding value in what you're doing, yeah. I, I just think that like, yeah. Well, so we it's just, talked it's, about this in general before, just like QuickBooks changes the price $10 and people are like, oh my God, like nobody's giving themselves some elbow room here, right? Yeah, I mean, if I'm your margin stuff. is predicated on like that 10% that you get from QuickBooks, or their payroll or whatever, like, that's not a real business. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by OnPay. As a small business owner, I've had my share of accounting, tax, bank feed, and app issues. Some could say I'm a mess, kind of like some of your clients. But as I reflect on the last three years of my business, the one app that I have not had any problems with is OnPay. It has been set it and forget it payroll. I quickly sign in each week, run payroll in minutes, maybe seconds, and I'm done. I get a perfect sync to QBO. I never think about payments or reports to government agencies because OnPay is doing it all for me. OnPay can do it all for your clients too. OnPay's partner program offers free payroll for your firm, discounts, a dedicated support team of in-house payroll experts who will do all the heavy lifting from setting up your dashboard to adding your clients and their employees. They'll even enter any prior wages to make it easy to switch. To learn more about switching your clients to the award-winning OnPay Payroll and HR, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash OnPay. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash O-N-P-A-Y. OnPay, switch to better payroll. No, it's seriously like, I don't know. And I think you could actually make good money doing just 1040s. And you know what? We saw proof of that. So Logan Graff has a YouTube channel. And what is his Twitter handle? I forget exactly. I know he's, by, he's got a mustache. I, he, I, I can't remember his handle, but I remember his image. No, I think he shaved it off. Oh, okay. uh, but he, his, so his channel is Tax Telegraph on YouTube. And his Twitter is Logan Graph Tax. 
And he put out a video on YouTube and he said, the title of the video is how much money I made in 2021 as a first year CPA firm owner. And he lays it all out. And I love this video. I highly suggest everyone go find it. I will make sure that the link is in the show notes. Short story is he started 2021 with 130 clients. Some he brought with him from a previous firm. He didn't have to buy those clients. They just came with him. Some he bought. So for a $16,500 initial investment, he had 130 clients. He made $142,000 in 2021, gross revenue. $142,000 his first year. And his take-home was $83,000. His salary the year before was $47,000. So he went from $47,000 take-home to $83,000 net. And here's the best part. His average busy season hours, forty. Now, he says in the video he lives in a low-cost area. He is the sole breadwinner in his family. But he obviously is able to live comfortably on that money. And he's choosing to work 40 hours a week. And the rest of the year, the second half of the year, 30 hours. Sometimes, you, I mean, I always think you see these like happiness numbers, like oh, 70,000 is the right amount or 80,000 is the right amount like to truly be happy. And I can see it too because as soon as you start working all those extra hours, instead of like – being budget conscious and making a meal at home, you're ordering food, you're constantly going out to eat. Yeah. And, and it's like, are you just, that? it feels like that there's a $20,000 window of like, you're making that 20 grand, but you're just blowing it because you're just using it to support your extra work habit. Yeah. I don't think it's worth it. I mean, I have somewhat of a limited experience, but I spent a few years, you know, three, four years where I was bringing in a ridiculous amount of salary in tech. And it wasn't as fulfilling as doing my own thing and like having the control. So I I know if you're, if you're like accounting is very profitable. So if your firm isn't making money, there's a problem with the firm. It's not the, the busy season isn't the problem. It's the way you handle the busy season. It's gotta be it. I mean, you know, to stop, I think, I think certify, is right. You know, stop complaining about your clients. Go fix your firm. Again, send all hate emails to Blake at BlakeOliver.com. Let me know what you think about this or anything else we say on the show. I got two more listener mails, David. Tyler wrote, you guys spoke about Intuit buying data deer. I'm not sure if you got their email, but they are sunsetting that product as a standalone option on October 31st. When I emailed back and asked, what about those of us that are QBO advisors and use it regularly? Will it still be available as a product we can use as part of our QBO subscription? They responded like this. Hi, Tyler. QuickBooks customers in the US may upgrade to QuickBooks Online Advanced to have access to Spreadsheet Sync, which is a feature that provides data sync capabilities between QuickBooks Online, Advanced, and Excel. At this time, there is no add-on option to other versions of QuickBooks being offered. A little bit annoying that a software I've paid 15 per month for many of my clients to upload data to the back end now need to upgrade their QBO subscriptions by $50 to $60 to get the same, or I guess more restricted service. And I'm guessing this is the end of the line for their zero integration. So David QuickBooks, right? They bought data. Yeah, data. like I, and now they're shutting it down for everything. I get when they sh- in advance. I, I kind of understand like if somebody shuts down for another platform. Because we're rolling it in. But like the customers that are already QuickBooks customers and customers of the product you acquired, like probably should just be grandfathered in, right? To their existing current pricing model. Or you slowly pull the band-aid off, right? But it's where we're at. I just think it's like, I don't know, I guess who else has done this recently? There were a bunch of other things that got bought and then they shut it down. Oh, I know. Notion. They bought automate.io. I think that's the name of it. Might not be the right URL, but it's called automate. It's a Zapier competitor. Yeah. And then they just announced they're shutting that down and they're just going to build automations inside of Notion. It's the risk we take in this cloud world that your favorite app is going to get acquired and shut down. Kind of sucks though. When we talk about zeros numbers, when we get to app news, we can talk a little yeah. more about these acquisitions that are happening because there was another acquisition by Sage as well. So what are, do you know about any data deer alternatives, David, that we could recommend? I mean, we've had a couple 
have advertised on the show before. I mean, you have essentially a live flow. Yeah. Advertised on the show before. You have Genius Sheets. Yeah, Genius they've been Sheets. A sponsor. They've been a sponsor, I think. Let's see. Um, I feel like there's one more that I just cannot remember. The, oh, Giacon. G-A-C-C-O-N. Giacon. One last listener mail. This is about Earth Class Mail. This is from Sarah. Hi, Cap guys. Love the show. In episode 275, you were mentioning check payments and using Earth Mail and printing a check. <laughs> that was the remember that story, David, where oh, yeah, we, we yeah. got it. We got a check from a sponsor and it went to my Earth Class Mail P.O. box. So Earth Class Mail scanned it for me and it came into my email as a scan. And then I used uh, Relay. So just to see if it would work, I printed out the check, cut it to be in the same shape as a check, and then scanned it with my phone to make the deposit. And it worked. It got through. Of course, the because compliance. all they're doing is photographing those micro the, lines. That's the yeah. important part, the account numbers. Right, right. And I assume it's almost completely automated The because there's so much volume of these check yeah. deposits every day, right? So they pull out ones that are suspicious. This probably wasn't a huge check. I don't think it was. Anyway, so getting back to the the message. This made me think, if you had the authorization in place in a customer agreement, you could enter the routing and account info from the check into the POS system or QBO payments and process that payment electronically. Would that still work on a check from a payment system like Melio or Bill.com? Just a random thought. Take care, Sarah. Now, I do know that I had a, a lease agreement at one point where the leasing company for my apartment said they would do that. If you mailed them a paper check for your rent, they would take the routing and account number and convert it to an ACH. I know that would work on a personal account, but I don't know if it would work on one of those clearing accounts like bill.com has. They probably prevent ACH pulls on accounts like that. And I assume Melio too. Because bill.com and Melio, when they mail a check, they don't mail it from your account. Yeah, so it's not your account routing. I don't know if it's true for Bill Hum, but definitely Emilio, so you're protected, right? It does not have your bank account and routing number on right. the bottom of the check, which right. is why so, it's so, better than using your own paper checks because anybody could take that, create ACH and yeah, you know, send money out of it or try to retrieve money. Yeah. So, so Earth Class Mail, by the way, they have a check deposit feature. So if you sign up for one of their, if you don't want to have a physical office, you can sign up for their service. And then when checks come in, they'll deposit them for you. But it doesn't work at every bank. You have to check. But wasn't that check you got a check through Bill.com? Yeah, it was. Now, so so it worked. Well, I didn't convert it to an ACH. I oh, just you didn't, okay, got it. You took a photo of it and cashed it. Okay. Yeah, I just deposited it like I had the paper check by taking a picture. So the answer is it depends, as all answers are in accounting. Yes, yes, yes. And that's all I've got for listener mail. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Canopy. Accounting practice management software should bring together all your firm's mission-critical functions in one place. Client management, document management, workflow, time and billing, and payments to keep your team organized. Canopy knows that not all firms are on the same practice management journey or timeline, so Canopy lets you build your practice management platform as you need it. You start with client management as your foundation, then you choose the modules that your firm needs. And since nobody likes paying for modules they don't use, they offer modular pricing as well. Canopy integrates with QuickBooks Online, Xero, FreshBooks, CRMs, form builders, spreadsheets, calendars, email, and Zapier. They have a mobile app, centralized file management, fillable PDFs, a client portal, task management, and the list goes on and on. Via their integration with the IRS, you can easily retrieve all your clients' transcripts, notices, and child tax care credit payments without leaving Canopy. To try Canopy free for 30 days, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash canopy. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-A-N-O-P-Y. We have two reviews, but we could kind of get those maybe towards the end of the show here. Oh, I'm excited. We haven't had reviews in a while. So one thing people got all fired up about is, because the headline's really great. So on Accounting Today, there's this big headline, and it's a great headline. By far, one of the best headlines we've ever had. IRS destroyed 30 million paper information returns due to backlog. Oh, yeah. (laughs) 
No, yeah, they they shredded thirty million piece uh, like items. But it's not clear what we don't they know. Shredded. We don't know. They burn, shredded, flooded. Do you think that like there was some manager out there looking at like the field of, you know, like storage containers, shipping containers with all the paper in it, and they're like, we just got to solve this problem. Let's just burn it all. Well, that's what they do with recycling, right? They put it on these shipping containers. They ship it off overseas. Then eventually, countries are like, we can't take any more stuff. And then that's where you have an island of floating plastic. <laughs> it's not. It's not the candy wrapper you threw out your car window that, or the straw from your drink that wound up in the ocean. It's they mass dumped this in, and it's kind of that same thing. Like just massively did this. Now, so so this this report is kind of clickbait, right? Because it says they disclosed that they destroyed thirty million paper filed information return documents in March 2021, but they didn't say what. Yes, they don't. Say, they don't. They don't say what. They don't say really the why. Right. So everyone's wondering, like. So is that why they still haven't processed that return I sent in? So like, I got they... in. Yeah, I, I I did open the PDF that they linked to. It's a 30-page mm-hmm. PDF. This is from the uh, Treasury Inspector General for Tax Administration. And so I did get in there. It just has a lot of numbers, right? It's just lots and lots of numbers. But they did have a chart, which I thought was interesting, about the fiscal 2020 cost to process key types of tax returns, right? So- E-file wise, volume wise, right? 1040s, 150 million of them came in through e-file. It cost 36 cents a piece to to manage those. Nine million came in through paper and it cost $15.21 to manage those, right? And so, yeah, I see these numbers. 30 cents, 30 cents electronically, $15 paper. Yep. And then- 990s, 990zs, right? Tax exempt forms, uh, pay- payroll forms, 941, 9, you know, 943, those types of forms. Like mm-hmm. those are 20 cents, 31 cents, and those cost money to process, right? But the interesting one that whereas the this is what the stuff I think that is burnt or whatever. Information returns, 3.2 billion. The cost per return to handle those is a penny, less than a penny. But only 9 million came in through paper in 2020. So, and so this information returns, this is like your- uh, 1099s. 1099s, all these things that are already, like massive amounts are coming to them electronically. Mm-hmm. And they just had this small, and they, they'll use those to reconcile against your returns, essentially. And apparently about 9 million of those came in in 2020, and then maybe they had some more and this more. And at this point, those returns have been filed. That's where I'm guessing is the logic on this. It's not really clear, but to process those, considering it's less than a penny to process the e-file ones, it's four dollars and thirty cents to process the rest of those. Mm. Each, yeah. So, so the math just doesn't make sense, and apparently, probably the the usefulness of them at this point is not good. They probably decided. Let's assume that it's ten ninety nines. I, you know, like let's give them some credit, right? They're not going to shred tax returns. That'd be stupid. <laughs> I don't. Maybe I don't know. Maybe it's somebody crossing their fingers. It's some of the new people that they just hired through that expedited hiring process. The ones making fifteen to seventeen an hour who used to work at Amazon. They're like, we're just going to be efficient. They just start shredding stuff. Our episode title is going to be "IRS Shredded Your Tax Return." (laughs) No, don't. (laughs) We're getting the clicks. I like the other one better. What was the other one? Orphan ten forties. Orphan ten forties. I like that. IRS burns orphans. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so they realize these ten ten ninety nines. They're never going to put them in. So, and they're never going to enforce any of this stuff. They're never going to audit any of this stuff. Like they don't have the resources, so let's just burn them all. That's that's the uh, positive spin. The negative one is is that they actually got rid of all these documents by accident, and we won't find out for a while. So what? So obviously, it's very clear how much more efficient e-file is. And we've talked yeah, about tax credit advocate double down on that. But yeah. Why not? And and when we interviewed the. Um, Tax guys, IRS two, guys. Two IRS guys and the ones yeah. in the so, collection division. And so that was cool. To, we we got to interview the deputy chief of criminal investigations and the deputy commissioner for collections collections for the small, small business self-employed division. And he made a comment about the IRS and their division. Like their division is about encouraging you to have a behavior change to pay your taxes. Yeah. Right. If you're not a bad actor, you know, you're not right. going to get arrested. Nobody's going to come in, you know. And I'm thinking about that, that that changing people's behavior. So if you want people to e-file more, 
charge them the cost to like charge them for 40 years because there's still um partnership returns corporate returns yeah i mean there's some returns you have to send in by paper which is just stupid so nine million let's talk about app news because we had a big story in the space rippling raised a $250 million round, Series D funding. Rippling is payroll, but they take an interesting twist on it. It's like payroll HR and connects all your apps and automates all the stuff that happens when you hire people. So provisioning them a laptop with their Google apps, their, all the different systems you have. It just like sets them all up, which can take hours, hours to do. So there's like a real niche use case there. So they did a blog post. Let's see. It was co-led by Bedrock and Kleiner Perkins. Wow, they're valued at $11 billion. Over $11 billion. Does it say what they're going to do with the money? Well, they're going to take some accounting partners to Bora Bora, I saw. (laughs) How do we get on that trip, David? They probably need a podcast there. They need an official podcast of Bora Bora, Rippling Bora Bora. That's cool. Very nice. So Sage acquired Futurely. Oh, yeah. So Futurely is like a, a dashboard. A lot of traction in the UK. They connect to QuickBooks. They obviously connect mm-hmm. to Sage products. They connect to Zero. They actually were one of our finalists when we were doing the app showdown. Um, I was actually talking to a former Intuit employee, and we are just like doing the math of the apps. We did the app showdown three years in a row. And we bring we pick like 10 finalist apps, and they compete for like $100,000. And our record of acquisitions out of those groups is pretty high. Like this is another So we we clearly should have we should take equity in all of these. I should have uh, yes, I probably should have. You should have made that the fee to apply. Is a thousand shares. <laughs> Intuit should have no no literally Intuit should have took equity and made investments, angel investments or early investments yeah. in all of these companies that they, that pitched. And not only that, Intuit and then as I think about this, right? You know, Locate got bought by Zero. Futurely got bought by, you know, AutoEntry got bought by Sage. Futurely got bought by Sage, right? The A lot of these companies, mm-hmm. Intuit had in their basket. Yeah. Like, like very well, close you know, maybe, basket. So. But Intuit's making its own acquisitions. No, exactly. So. They're doing this, yeah. And they're, they're, they're acquiring other. Yeah. yeah. So it is what it is, I guess, on that, on that front. Deal has raised $50 million dollars. Deal is a remote hiring company that allows you to hire employees all over the world. So like a global PEO. They raised $50 million at a $12 billion valuation, according to an Axios report. They've crossed the $100 million annual recurring revenue threshold. Pretty uh, powerful numbers there. And, and their value prop is if I want to hire some outsourced accountants in India or the Philippines or Brazil... That's a lot of headache for me as a firm to figure out all this payroll stuff, but they, you can use their service and boom. I think their focus is, is engineers. They seem to be like, because the customers they're talking about, Coinbase, Dropbox, Shopify, engineers are ridiculously expensive. I was talking to a founder at Accounting Web and he told me that a reasonable, reasonably experienced front-end developer in the Bay Area is going to run you 300000 a year. Like not even like the best, just like somebody competent. I mean, I think I just saw like Apple, Google, Microsoft, they're all giving huge raises to their employees because they're trying to keep their engineers. Yeah. Yeah. So deal, right? You can go, you can go hire those, those engineers for half the price, less than that, right? You can, why wouldn't you? You have to. How, how can you, <laughs> you know, like the cost is just crazy. Um. Here's a, here's a nice one. This is good news, David. Can, maybe we can end on some good news. Well, we got, what else we do you got? got? We, we have reviews to end on. We got some other stuff. Okay. Well, this so another, is good... this another app, app article? Yeah. Read the reviews and then we'll do the good news. Oh, yeah. A couple more app things that are kind of quick. Yeah. So, Does anyone uh, care? Are they like... I don't know. What's Deluxe, Anything right? I've heard of? So Deluxe. You've heard of Deluxe? Deluxe checks? Yes. But they've Are you quiet... shitting me? <laughs> Hold on. For starters, the volume they're doing in checks is still more than any of the AP apps combined. But like, anyways, did you know that they have like, they? Have, I think we talked to them on the show before, they have a payments division. Do you know they have a payroll and HR division? 
Like they have cloud it, payroll software. It's decent looking. I was like trying to figure out, is it white labeled? Is it somebody else's? But then I started going to their job postings. I think they've, it's in-house built. Um, but they just announced, and the reason it came on my radar is they just announced that they're now syncing to QuickBooks. They're using Kodak to do that. And they're going to be able to, you know, sync pay, their payroll software. QuickBooks desktops? QuickBooks desktop? Oh, it's, it, their first one is QuickBooks <laughs> Online. So, okay. All right. So, nice. so they did that. Um, and then um, the other one, CPA charge. I know a lot of accountants use CPA charge. Mm-hmm. Right? A lot of time. We've, talk, we've talked lots about buy now, pay later. Yes. CPA chart is, is added that. So if your client, you're, you're going to charge $2,000 for that 1040 and they're like, I can't afford to pay that. You can be like, guess what? You can buy now and pay later. So you right. as the firm get your full $2,000, but the client pays whatever, paying for $250, a month or whatever they pay. And I think so, that's a great secondary option. If you're not going to switch to offering clients tax prep, tax advisory on a monthly or quarterly recurring basis, just offer that, right? Like, why not? They pay the fee, I think. Or maybe you pay, I guess you would pay the fee. Uh, I don't, it's different depending on how it works, right? But if you pay 3% to not have to deal with the non-payment or late payment, it's well worth it. Yeah. So and then, shall, shall we do the reviews? One more. So Avalara continues their march of being compliance everything. So they launched another new solution this one's a compliance product for property managers. It's called Avalara My Lodge Tax Pro. And it's really geared towards property managers that have between five and 40,000 properties. Five and 40,000, that's a pretty big range. And it's going to let you register with the state and local tax authorities, lodge your tax rates, tax rates. Oh, the lodging tax. Yeah, that's yeah. a big pain. Create yeah. reports. Get, so, so again, they just, like everywhere there's compliance really to tax, Avalara is getting into that mm-hmm. market. It's actually like, what's the spot they aren't in? Is, and then go get in there be, or, you know, before yeah. they get in there if you can. If there's anything left you. on that front. All right. And now you want to, you want to, we just quickly zeros numbers. So zero release their numbers. Okay. Uh, just, their operating revenue is up 29% and they finally yes. broke 1.1 billion. Nice. Or they broke a billion dollars in the revenue. Yeah. Total subscribers increased 19% to 3.3 million. Okay, Which is still a little tw- low, low. Um, I, I'd be looking for like twenty to thirty percent. Well, even QuickBooks, like that, 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 like growing twenty, thirty percent for subscribers has slowed down. That, like that's slowed down for them too. For, yeah, that's why Intuit doesn't release the number anymore. I think because I don't mm. think they were they were they were hitting like thirty percent there, forty percent a quarter. It was crazy. And I guess that's why they're working on advanced. Is like with slowing subscriber growth, you just got to move people yeah. up into the higher tier. And then again, there's a nice sentence here because we talked about acquisitions. We will, we continue to prioritize our investment to build new products and functionality enter into partnerships and acquire businesses that are strategic fit for zero. So you, this March of these accounting apps, acquiring companies will just keep going. All right, that's it. Go to your article, then we'll do a, a reviews. Reviews. Uh, so millions of Americans may qualify for free broadband internet as part of a new program. A coalition of the top 20 internet service providers in the U.S. are going to join a government program that will offer subsidies on broadband internet to millions of Americans. It's going to be based on qualifying income. And it could be free after the rebate for as much as 40% of the U.S. population. Well, I guess 48 million homes could qualify for this. So AT&T, Comcast, Cox, Verizon, et cetera, are going to provide at least one service plan that costs under $30 per month with internet download speeds of at least 100 megabits per second. Families with an income of about 55000 or less would qualify for the $30 per month refund, as would those who are receiving aid through SNAP, Pell Grants, Medicaid, or SSI. So this is a public-private partnership, basically, to accomplish yeah. this. Which, you know, this, this, is, this is big because these providers that are agreeing to join cover 80% of the nation's population, but the rural areas have not yet joined That's in. That's still an issue, yeah. Yeah, and, and rural rural broadband is like a big problem in the digital divide. Like, we've got to solve that. If if like, and it could be really good for rural America with remote work now. Like, you could really the economies could come back. You have workers living there, buying, spending. Your eighty grand will yeah. go pretty far. Really, that's firm, th- what yeah, I'm talking yeah, about, right? Yeah. So adjust your 
lifestyle to fit how much you actually want to work. And if you don't want to work 50 or 60 or 70 hours, figure out how to trim your budget back. It's I good mean, to see that they're doing pro, uh, private and public combined because down here in Tucson, they just numbers came out recently. City of Tucson tried to build some homegrown on their own internet service thing. And they mm-hmm. spent $7 million for a thousand people to get internet. <laughs> so people, yeah, this is, I don't know. Sometimes Tucson kind of makes me crazy. All right. You want to <laughs> jump into reviews? Uh, yeah, let's hear it. All right. So this one's a fancy one. This is Connor from Bookkeep. Uh, this is the best accounting industry podcast, five stars. This is on um, Apple podcast. Thank you, Connor. And Blake and Oliver, Oliver, I guess would be me, not only keep me up to date on the latest industry news, but also are entertaining throughout the process. I first learned about the Cloud Accounting Podcast when they held a booth at a conference I attended. So I know keeping up with the news, but COVID permitting in the community with boots on the ground. If you're looking for a place to go for entertaining, relevant accounting industry news, then your search is done. Thank you, Connor. That's a really great review. Fantastic. And then we have another review. Um, This is on Apple Podcasts. This is from Siwa, S-E-W-A, Merchant Services. And this is on Apple Podcasts as well. Keeps me thinking five stars. As an accounting student in a CPA program, you keep me thinking as to whether big four is where I want to be or if I should focus on a smaller firm in my rural area. Parentheses, much more difficult to get employed that way where I am. But as a follower of Bitcoin and to lesser extent other base chains since 2013, I must say your understanding is very lacking. Please look into the What Bitcoin Did podcast or some of Andreas Anotopoulos's videos. So Sorry, I know I know the Bitcoin lovers, the crypto bros think I'm totally off base and maybe I am, but I have data. I put my I listen to all of you. I put money into crypto and it's down. I just was Smart enough. I have enough knowledge not to put yeah. more than 0.0000% of my assets into it. That's all. David, that's all the time we have for this week. If people want to get a hold of you online, where should they do that? I'm on all the socials, just at David Leary. I'm at Blake T. Oliver. Send me an email, Blake at BlakeOliver.com. You can send me a voicemail, send me a note about what you think. We listen to those. We read those. We often play them on the air. We'd love to hear from our listeners. And leave if us a review. If you want to give us... A, Give us a review on Apple Podcasts or on uh, Podchaser. Podchaser. Or now on Spotify, I think you can put stars on your reviews. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can write anything. And if you want to get continuing education for listening to this episode and all of our other Cloud Accounting Podcast episodes, download my app, Earmark CPE. It gets you continuing professional education credit for listening to podcasts. You're oh. already listening. Why wouldn't you get it? I don't know who I was speaking to, Blake, and I meant to tell you this when we were at the conference. Somebody was telling me how they talked to somebody else who said they got 34 hours of continuing education credit using Earmark. Mm. So I don't know if you heard this story, Mm -hmm. if you know who this individual is, but... It might be the same person. It might not be, but yeah, we've got some power users, so... It's, it's exciting. It's fun. It's I, I just love building this thing. It's turning into a community. We've got 1,800 people on the app now. And it, just, it grows like 15 to 20% every month. So we'll see where we are at the end of the year. You're like the Bitcoin of CP. <laughs> I don't know. Except I'm not making any money from it. I'm not making any money from it right now. Maybe I should have a, an earmark coin, you know, launch some NFTs. You could buy them in the app. And on anyway, that note. <laughs> crypto haters know where to reach me or crypto lovers know where to reach me. And I'll talk to you next week, David. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye. Time for the classifieds. If you're looking to quickly grow a scalable, systematic seven-figure accounting firm without having to work 50 plus hours per week, check out Ryan Lozanis' online coaching membership, Future Firm Accelerate. Sign around Ryan's experience taking his cloud firm from scratch to sale so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You'll get online learning and topics that help you automate and systemize all aspects of your firm. You'll get coaching when you need help with implementation. And you'll also join a collaborative community of hundreds of other forward-thinking firm owners. For more details, head over to www.futurefirmaccelerate.com. Tired of clients not remembering to get W9s? Get W9 automates and streamlines the collection and storage of W9s. Get W9 has a QBO integration, and they have a partner program that pays 25% commissions. Get W9 plans start at only $19 a year. 
Visit getw9.tax today to get started. That is getw9.tax. Are you looking for a dream job in cloud accounting? We have the job for you. Advisors for Change delivers cloud accounting systems to small and medium nonprofit organizations. Join our team of friendly and collaborative nonprofit accounting professionals while working from home. Our systems associate will join our experienced systems manager to implement and support cloud accounting systems such as QBO, Bill.com, Divi, Sassan, and others. To learn more, head to our website at advisorsforchange.com slash join-our-team. That's advisorsforchange.com slash join-our-team. We'll find a link to the full position description on Indeed. Are you looking for a dream job in cloud accounting? We have the job for you. Advisors for Change delivers cloud accounting systems to small and medium nonprofit organizations. Join our team of friendly and collaborative nonprofit accounting professionals while working from home. Our systems associate will join our experienced systems manager to implement and support cloud accounting systems such as QBO, Bill.com, Divi, Sassan, and others. To learn more, head to our website at advisorsforchange.com slash join-our-team. That's advisorsforchange.com slash join-our-team. We'll find a link to the full position description on Indeed. Hey, podcast listeners, it's Blake, and I wanted to let you know about a new show I'm working on with CPA slash comedian Greg Kite and blogger slash former CPA Caleb Newquist. It's called Oh My Fraud, and it's a podcast all about financial crimes. That's right, a true crime podcast for accountants by accountants. Caleb and Greg are going to come together every couple weeks to unpack their favorite frauds and explore the circumstances, psychology, and interpersonal dynamics involved. They also fully indulge in victim-blaming the defrauded widows, orphans, infirm, and feeble-minded, because who can resist? If you fancy yourself a trusted advisor or prefer your true crime with spreadsheets instead of corpses, listen to this show to learn what to watch out for and to keep your clients, your firm, and even yourself safe. To subscribe, go to ohmyfraud.com or search Oh My Fraud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.